Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Church. It's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again as we continue in our series of studies on the book of Revelation. It has been a great week here at Real Life, uh, and I, I'm so thankful that we have celebrated baptism so many times this week. Uh, we had a baptism last Sunday. We had a baptism on Friday. We have six baptisms on Sunday afternoon. Uh, it, it's been a great week because God's Spirit is still on the loose. Even when the world is locked down, God's Spirit is on the loose, and so I am thankful for that. Uh, I'm thankful that we get to worship in this way. We have hybrid worship services now at Real Life, so if, if you need to be at home for the sake of your health or for the sake of your, your, your inner peace, then we're going to continue to produce worship online so you can worship at home. That's great. God bless you. I know some people are, are worshiping with maybe just another family in their living room because they don't want to be around a lot of people, but maybe just a friend, and that's, that's great. God bless you if you're doing that. And I know some people are joining us on Sunday mornings now because we're worshiping outside uh, in the parking lot, following all the required guidelines, uh, but we, uh, we've had gatherings in the parking lot the last couple of weeks, and those have been great. And starting this Sunday, Sunday at 9 o'clock, uh, there will be coffee and free Krispy Kreme again in the parking lot. It returns, hooray! Uh, that's what we're all looking forward to. So I'm thankful that we get to do that, that we can, in this world of new technology, worship in all kinds of ways, no matter where we are. Uh, keep, uh, keep in touch, stay, stay informed, because there's stuff coming up for you to be able to take part in. We're going to add some activities on Sunday, which again, we can do safely and following all guidelines, but we know people need community, and so we're going to provide opportunities for community on Sunday. And then coming up on Saturday the 8th, we're going to do a little work project here on campus. Since we are now worshiping outside on Sundays, we're going to, we're going to prep our outside uh, site a little bit, and we can do that in, uh, in socially distant ways, but we're going to get a few people here uh, on August 8th at 8 a.m. So uh, 8, 8 at 8 a.m., and I need at least eight people because uh, we've got like 8 million things we need to do around here. So if you can be here on, on the 8th, let us know. Send an email to info at reallife.la to, just to let us know that you're coming, and that will be a good day together. Okay, uh, let's, uh, let's take a minute and pray, and then we're going to get into our studies on the book of Revelation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that nothing can hold you down, that nothing can stop your spirit, that nothing limits your love. Teach us to be agents of your peace and your love in a world that is so shaken up right now. May we carry your grace and your kindness into tense situations and love those who are different than us and who think differently than us and who be behave differently than us. May we overwhelm them with peace and graciousness. God, may we do that out of a deep inner conviction that you live within us and that all we need is an identity founded in you. Jesus, help us to see you working in our lives, stirring us up, calming us down, and teaching us to walk in your footsteps. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. 
All right, if you've been with us the last couple weeks or if you've been following along on the podcast at reallife.la, you know that we're in a series of studies on the book of Revelation because Revelation is about the end of the world and sometimes 2020 feels like the end of the world. And so I, I guess it's our guide map. It's our, it's our guidebook for the year 2020. Uh, we've, uh, the world's not going to end this year. It's going to be okay. Uh, we've been going through the book of Revelation and just to remind you, here's the context in which we're reading. John, disciple of Jesus, uh, pastor later in his life at the end of the first century, has been exiled to the island of Patmos to die and there he receives a vision from Jesus of what God is doing when the world is out of control, of, of where God is when it seems like nobody's in charge. And he writes this vision down, and he sends it probably on one of the passing ships back to the city of Ephesus, where he was a pastor, where his church was, and, and he gives them hope and encouragement that God is still with them, that God has a plan, that God is still in control. And the book of Revelation is filled with all kinds of symbols and images, most likely, Jesus used this, this kind of powerful visual imagery because it's conspiratorial literature. It's literature written against Rome and against Caesar. And if a Roman centurion found that, the person carrying it would be in trouble. But because it's filled with all kinds of images that a, a first century Jewish person might recognize, but a centurion might not, uh, the, the, the followers of Jesus uh, in the first century world who knew the Hebrew scriptures could read it and circulate it, and that's why we have the book of Revelation, which is all kinds of fun for us because now we get to decode uh, some of these images in the context of the first century world, and that's what we're going to continue doing today. Last week, we looked at one of the, the, there are letters within this letter, so Revelation is a letter, but in chapters two and three of Revelation, there are seven letters to seven churches. One of them is Ephesus, the church in Ephesus where Paul was uh, where John was a pastor, and then the other letters were to nearby cities. So he wrote the letter for it to be circulated among these seven churches in seven cities. And so we're going to look at another one today. And this is really cool for me because I'm a nerd. I hope it's interesting to you. Uh, but no, it's, it's interesting because it tells us a lot about what was going on in the first century church and what Jesus had to say to them. So open in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 to 17, and we're going to read the letter to the church in the city of Pergamum. Uh, here we go. Verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, uh, remember, each of these letters is addressed to the angel of the city or the messenger to the city, it might be. Pergamum was a wealthy city uh, with about 200,000 people in it. It had all kinds of temples to various gods. It had a theater. Uh, and John had installed a pastor in this city named An Antipas. So they had a pastor of their own named Antipas uh, who had died. He was a martyr. He had been killed by some of the Greek priests there, uh, as you'll see. Uh, but this is the, the city he's writing to, to Pergamum. These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. So again, kind of, a, kind of an image there, which a, a Roman centurion might not recognize, but anybody who's read the Bible knows that that's how the early Christians talked about the word of God. The scripture was like a double-edged sword. And uh, him who has it, he who has it, is Jesus. So this, these are the words of Jesus. Verse 13, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Okay, this is where it gets fascinating because you might read the words where Satan has his throne and go, what are we talking about? Are you talking about the devil, the guy with the little horns and the little 
tail? Are we, he's got a, a seat there? What are we talking about? So first century Christians would have known what John was talking about. In Pergamum, uh, up on the top of the hill, there was a temple to the god Zeus. And around the, the base of the temple was this, this carved uh, sculpture, which is known as one of the greatest carvings uh, in ancient Greece. And it depicted one of the big battles that was fought in, in the, between the Greek gods. Uh, in, the, in the Greek mythology, there are two major wars. This is really important. You need to write this down. You need to know all this Greek mythology stuff because uh, it's, it's super interesting to nerds. Um, there were two great wars. Uh, one of them you've heard of before. You've actually probably heard of one of the great wars that the Greek gods fought because it was fought between the gods of Olympus, like Zeus and Hera and all those, uh, and gods of another nearby mountain who were known as the Titans. And in in the Greek literature, it, it's known as the uh, Titanomachy, uh, but we call it the Clash of the Titans, which you've heard of before, because there are all kinds of modern movies based on the fight between the Olympian gods and the Titans, uh, such as uh, 2010, Clash of the Titans, 2010, uh, Percy Jackson and the Immortals, 2011, Prometheus, 2012, uh, uh, the... Uh, the Immortals, and 2012, The Wrath of the Titans. Anyway, there's a whole string of movies uh, just about a decade ago about this battle. Then there was a second great war fought among the Greek gods between the, the gods of Olympus again and a, a race of giants on the earth. And that battle is what's captured in the stone carving around the base of this temple that sits in Pergamum. There's a temple to Zeus with this, this carving of this great war all across the bottom of it. And it was gigantic. You can actually go online and look at it because archaeologists have excavated it and they, they found this and it's now being held in a, in a museum in Berlin, in Berlin, Germany, because there was a season about 80 years ago where the Germans went around borrowing artwork from a lot of other countries. But it's this beautiful carving and, and uh, in the center of it, in the center of this carving up at the top of it, up at the top of this temple, there was a fire that they would keep lit, burning sacrifices to Zeus. So imagine being a little Christian in the city of Pergamum, right? You're, you're a tiny little sect. There, at the beginning, there were not many of you. And the city had this gigantic altar to the greatest of all the Olympian gods, the father of all the gods. And they kept a fire burning all the time. You could always smell the sacrifices to Zeus across the city. You are surrounded by this culture of worship of this false god. Imagine being this little, you know, meek Christian trying to survive in this, this climate where Caesar uh, is persecuting the Christians and the religions around you don't like the Christians because they're, they're taking away adherence of these other religions. John says, uh, I, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, remember the pastor in Pergamum, who John had appointed to be a pastor in Pergamum, and who was killed by Greek priests. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Uh, here was the story of Antipas. Now, now think about this. John followed Jesus probably when he was uh, in his late teens, maybe early 20s, when he was a young man. He's lived his whole life. He was the only one of the, the 12 disciples to live to later in life. All the rest were 
uh, martyred, or except for Judas who killed himself, right? But John lives later in life, and so he's training up other pastors, training up other leaders and launching them. So Antipas was probably a younger man, a younger disciple like John had been when he followed Jesus. And Antipas began to, to practice the Christian faith. Uh, and in those days, surrounded by opponents of the faith that, like they were, they knew the power of the Holy Spirit. They knew the authority that they carried within them. It's actually an authority that you carry within you if you follow Jesus. But most people are not aware of how much authority they carry. Antipas uh, was pastoring in the, in the city of Pergamum, leading people to Jesus, baptizing them, building the church. And the Greek priests of that city came to him and said that they had been having dreams of their gods coming to him and saying, hey, our gods are telling us that they have to flee the city of Pergamum because you're here, Antipas. They sense that there's some power in you that's a threat to them and they have to run away from the city because of you. And they're angry at Antipas because their, their gods are upset and are giving them nightmares. Antipas said this. This isn't in the Bible. This is extraneous history. Other historians have, have captured this story. Antipas says to the Greek priests, then your so-called gods and lords of the universe are afraid of me, a mortal man, and have to flee the city. Why do you not learn from this that your faith is in vain? <laughs> right? If your gods are running away, what a waste of a faith. Well, with that, the Greek uh, priests became so angry with him that they grabbed him, they took him to the altar, and they burned him to death. And that's how Antipas died. And John says, Jesus says, through John to the city of Pergamum, I know how faithful you are that even when this, this respected, beloved pastor of yours was killed by the, God, by the priests of a false god, you didn't give up your faith. Good for you, Pergamum. Stand firm. Uh, I know you did that. I know you were faithful. Nevertheless, verse 14 I have a few things against you. Now, remember, I, I said this in a previous sermon, there, the, the writings of the Hebrew prophets would uh, sing songs of praise, and then they would give warnings of curses. So they would say, good job, Israel, good for, being, good for you for being faithful, but watch out, if you're not faithful, everything's gonna fall apart. And the, the Hebrew prophets, like if you read the book of Isaiah in the Hebrew scriptures, it goes back and forth and back and forth like that over and over again. Uh, Good for you for being faithful, be careful if you're not. Good for you for being faithful, be careful if you're not. So Jesus now, through John in Revelation, has said, Pergamum, good for you. I know you are faithful when the odds were against you, but I have some things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught uh, Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Let me pause for a minute. If you're new to real life church and you're just tuning in this morning, you may be thinking, this is the strangest thing I've ever heard. I do not need to know any of this. I tuned in because I want to know how to survive 2020. I want to have a healthy marriage. I want to financially survive. And I'm getting the most bizarre ancient history lesson I've ever heard. But man, that guy is handsome. Um, that's, I know that's what you're thinking. Um, here's the deal, though. This, this is, is powerful and fascinating. And when we unpack 
the book of Revelation. When we unpack the symbolism in here, we get to see a message that's addressed to Christians in all times and places, and especially Christians in the year 2020. So hold on, uh, stay, stay tuned in. This is going to be worth unpacking. Uh, I know uh, about that you've, you've uh, committed to the teachings of uh, Balaam uh, and Balak. So here's the story. This is in the, the Hebrew Bible. This is in our Bible in the, in the Hebrew Scriptures. Balak was a king, uh, and he didn't like the Israelites, God's people, because they were growing, and they were going to be a threat to his land. They were going to take up too much space. So he goes and he gets his prophet uh, Balaam and says, I want you to curse them. And Balaam stands up on a mountain overlooking the Israelites where they're camped, and he blesses them. And the king, Balak, goes, hey, knock that off. I told you to curse them, not to bless them. And, and Balaam says, uh, I can't curse them unless they sin, right? If they're faithful to their God, God's going to bless them. I, I can't curse them unless they're doing the wrong thing. And so the, the, the story is then that uh, Balak, the king, uh, led them astray with the temptation to worship idols and to turn to sexual immorality. And then they could be cursed. And so Jesus is saying, I know I have some things against you, Pergamum. I have some problems with you. You've turned aside, some of you have turned aside to false idols. Some of you are worshiping the Greek gods. Some of you have turned to uh, sexual immorality. I, I have this against you. Some of you have not been faithful. And now he's going to go on and tell us uh, who exactly he's talking about. Verse 15. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolait Nicolaitans, the Nicolaitans were a group who claimed to be Christian, but they followed a guy named Nicholas, uh, their leader. And Nicholas said that uh, he did not want to be a jealous husband, so he was going to let his wife have as many boyfriends as she wanted. And he himself had as many girlfriends as he wanted. And they called themselves Christians. And they had this weird culty movement that followed this guy with this completely inappropriate uh, sexual immorality, this, this, these, uh, these uh, abhorrent uh, sexual practices that were going on uh, in this first century world, in Pergamum. And so, so Jesus says, uh, likewise you, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth, which again is the scripture, the truth. I will, I will come and correct them. And, and so so Jesus is saying to Pergamum, look, I know, I know how faithful you are. You, even when your, your pastor was killed by these Greek priests, you stood firm. But now you're turning aside. You're being tempted. Just like, like Balaam said in the, in the Hebrew Scriptures, if, if you're tempted, if you turn astray, you could be cursed. So repent. Turn away from those false practices and return to faithfulness. Verse 17. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, who, who stands firm despite temptation and threat, to the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. Now the hidden manna, hold on, don't give up. There's, we're just unpacking another image here. In the Hebrew scriptures, there's a moment where the Israelites are wandering through the desert and they're hungry and God makes something like bread fall down from the sky. Uh, and they say in Hebrew, what is it? Which sounds like manna. And so they call this stuff manna, the stuff that falls from the sky. And they, they, enough fell from the sky every day that they could gather enough and feed themselves for the day. God provided them for them when they had nothing. And the story goes that they took some of it 
and put it in the Ark of the Covenant, their gold box, and they kept it in there, and then one day it just disappeared. Uh, and uh, and the, the legend was that one day manna would fall from the sky again. And so then Jesus shows up on the scene and calls himself the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And so the early Christians would talk about how manna had come again, how God had provided again. When they had nothing uh, from, from out of nowhere, that which provides for them had arrived. And that's a reference to Jesus. If you're faithful, I will give you some of the hidden manna. I will, uh, I will provide for you uh, because of your faith in Jesus. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Now we have a pretty good guess as to what this white stone reference is because archaeologists have excavated Pergamum and found little white stones that had the names of Greek gods written on them that they believed were used in healing rituals. And what Jesus is saying, I'll give you a new stone, most likely with the name Yahweh on it, with the name of the Hebrew God, with their God on it, the Christian God on it. Uh, and they'll, they'll receive a, a new source of healing. So, so these are the, uh, the, the powerful and strange images in the book of Revelation, but you get a sense of how we read this book. It's not just a bunch of nonsense. It all had very deep meaning for first century Christians who read it. And as we unpack it today, looking at using the resources of history and archaeology to understand what was going on at the time, the message becomes clear. Good for you, Christians who are faithful in the face of gigantic rivals, false gods that so many people around you worship. Good for you for being faithful. When the culture turns astray to abhorrent sexual practices, good for you for being faithful. Stand firm. Don't let the powers that be wreck your faith. God is on the throne at the center of the universe, ruling over it all. Do not give up. Stand firm. When you see Christians persecuted, don't give up. Don't turn astray. When when forces try to tempt you away from God to things that distract you or that wreck you, don't turn aside. Stay true to Jesus because in the end, you're going to stand in front of him and give an account of your life. On that day, you want to be able to say that you stood faithfully when others fell astray, when others fell, fell by the wayside. That's the message of the book of Revelation, that when it looks like everything is out of control, God is still in the center of the universe, sitting on the throne, ruling over it all. And the day is going to come where the, the veil is peeled back and we see the world as it really is. On that day, you want to be counted faithful to Jesus. On, on that day, everything is going to be accounted for. 2020 is the year in which our, our faith is being challenged. Where we're being asked by the, the circumstances around us, are you going to be faithful or are you not? So many people have already turned aside from, from worship and the practice of the faith and have, have put it on the shelf. And I'm not talking about people who need to worship at home online because their health is compromised. If that's you, God bless you. Good for you for being persistent in, in your own personal worship at home. That's great. I'm talking about people who put their faith on the shelf and are not going to bother with it again for another year until they can be back in public life. I'm talking about people who've already said, it's too much work, it wasn't that big, big a deal in the first place. I'm not going to bother with it anymore. 
I'm talking about pastors out there who have already said, all we're going to do is try to save as much money as we can and do as few activities as we can to try to survive. We're not going to worry about lost people who don't know Jesus. We're not going to worry about baptism. Does that sound like something Jesus would say? Is the Holy Spirit locked down or is the Holy Spirit on the loose? I am so excited about the coming season right now at Real Life. And I I may be in the minority of pastors in America saying this today, but I know God is doing good things right now and God is doing good things in our immediate future. So don't give up. Stand firm. Be persistent in your worship. Worship with us in community every week, even if you need to do it online. Be persistent in your daily prayer and daily study of the scriptures. Keep giving to those who are in need, reaching out for people who are lost and hurting. What are we going to do? Throw them on Satan's altar for a year and just let him go? Imagine the number of people who will live without the good news of Jesus Christ this year because the church put it on the shelf. We're not going to do that. Uh, we're going we're gonna to continue to worship together as a church every week. We're going to launch small groups that meet both online and in person in people's homes. We're going to continue to do outreach and service to the world around us. Uh, uh, around us. Uh, come serve with me in the pantry every week if you want to do that. That's always going to be essential. Help support a child through Compassion International. There are, if you think, if you think you and I and the the, the communities in our immediate uh, vicinity are in trouble, think about the people who are in deep poverty already and how hard this year is going to be on them. Um, go go with me to um, compassion.com slash real life LA. Compassion.com real life LA. And, and if you are financially stable this year, if you can do it, Support a child in, the, in a developing nation. I've continued to support a, a kid in the, in the Philippines who I've actually met. Uh, and, and if you support a child through Compassion International, your money will provide food and clothes and housing and school and Bible study. It will provide all kinds of good things for them. Don't stop caring for people just because the world is shaky. Stand firm. The world will always be unstable. But our lives rest in the hands of a God who loves us and has not let us go. Jesus loves you. Jesus is in control of your world and sees every single second of it. None of it is out of his hands and none of it is out of his heart. He has not let you go. The number of days of your life are still in his hands and nothing can snatch them out and make them shorter. And no amount of worrying on our part can make them longer. It's all in Jesus' hands. And Jesus loves you more than you love yourself. And everything he does in your life is just so that you'll know how good and loving and healthy a relationship with him is. When the gods of this world turn against you and it feels like the walls are closing in, Remember, their gods are afraid of you because of the one who lives inside you. So don't give up. Stand firm. Now let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word to the church in Pergamum 2,000 years ago, and I thank you that as we 
delve into it and unwrap it. It still speaks so clearly into our lives today. I thank you that 2020 is unveiling who we are and what we believe in. And I ask in the, the midst of all that uncertainty that your word would be all the more clear, that your love would be all the more clear, that the, the activity and work of your Holy Spirit in our lives would be all the more clear. Teach us to trust, teach us to believe, teach us to live with courage and with wisdom. May we follow you every single day into the, the streets of our communities to let the world know that Jesus is still Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Now will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.